When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. New developments in the legal drama surrounding former President Donald Trump. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts. Lots of news of all kinds going on right now. And the latest updates on the 2024 election. The rematch is on. It's Trump-Biden part two. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com slash app. Tonight on The Readout. Now that the Shelby County Commission has done their job. Yeah! I'm so glad we get to get back to doing our job. Yeah! And what is our job? It's to elevate the voices of the six kids, the six people in Nashville. Yeah. The three children who are just nine years old. Now, both lawmakers expelled by Republicans in the Tennessee legislature have been reinstated, proving just how pointless that exercise was. State Representative Justin J. Pearson joins me in just a moment. And the two pillars of the Republican Party, Trump and Fox, are all friendly again. And there are big new developments in both of their perilous legal situations. And late today, a new threatening letter is received by Manhattan D.A. Alvin Bragg's office containing a, a suspicious white powder. But we begin tonight with the triumphant return of the Tennessee Three. Earlier today, the Shelby County Commission voted to reappoint Justin J. Pearson to his duly elected position to represent the good citizens of District 86. Not a single Republican showed up for the vote. Representative? Yes. On behalf of this body, we have some commissioners in the queue. We'll say congratulations again. Pearson, surrounded by supporters, was ecstatic once his reinstatement was made official. His return comes less than one week after House Speaker Cameron Sexton fast-tracked this extraordinary punishment not deployed since the 1800s. Shelby County Commissioner Mikhail Lowry said the expulsions were hasty and brought about an unfortunate outcome. That outcome helped expose how deeply undemocratic Tennessee has been really for decades and how quickly Republicans are capable of acting when it's about their own angry feelings, just not on doing anything to stop mass shootings. Ahead of today's vote, the Tennessee Three rallied supporters where they promised that this is not the end, but rather the beginning of a much bigger, mo a much bigger movement. The movement lives or dies in Memphis and here at this hallowed place, in this sacred place, we show in the, the United States of America and the Republicans in Tennessee that the movement is still alive. We need to lift up these amazing voices of these young people. We need a multiracial, multigenerational organization in the Tennessee legislature. Something's changing in our state that is going to restore democracy and get rid of these forces that are trying to take us backward. Moments later and just feet from the Civil Rights Museum housed inside the Lorraine Hotel, where 55 years ago this month, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered. Hotel, um, hundreds of supporters, led by Representative Pearson, marched to the County Commission building. Tonight, Pearson will head back to Nashville, where he and every other Democrat still face a stubborn Republican supermajority that has an ax to grind and a refusal, once again, to do anything about gun violence. 
Last week, Shelby County Commissioner Erica Sugarman told a Fox affiliate that the Republicans who run the state were looking to punish Memphis for reappointing Pearson. They are allegedly looking to withhold funding for schools and money that would help restore the basketball stadium in the city of Memphis. Earlier today, Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called on the Department of Justice to investigate the expulsions of Justin Jones and Justin J. Pearson. Specifically, the senators argue that their expulsions violated their First Amendment rights to free speech and assembly and violated the rights of the citizens of Memphis and Nashville. Joining me now is the newly reinstated State Representative Justin J. Pearson of Tennessee. And I misstated, I said, I meant Lorraine Motel. Y'all know what I meant. But I want to thank you for being here. Uh, Representative Pearson, it is good to call you representative again. And uh, I just want to first get to you the feeling. We could see what the feeling was when the three of you were together again and announcing your really victorious return. But tell me how you feel about what this process has done for you, it has made the Justins quite world famous, but also re-elevated the issue of multiracial democracy. Tell me how you're feeling. Well, thank you so much, Joy. Uh, today, I feel uh, a determined, uh, a renewed sense of hope in our democracy, despite the anti-democratic behavior of Cameron Sexton and the Republican Party in the state of Tennessee. Uh, and at the same time, we still feel the feelings of mourning with our brothers and sisters in Louisville, Kentucky, who suffered from a mass shooting, and our brothers and sisters in Nashville, who have served, unfortunately, as a catalyst to this conversation because of the mass shooting at the Covenant School. And we continue to hold them in our hearts as we also realize that this is a different moment in American and Tennessee history for change to happen. Uh, and we are going to use this platform to elevate the issue of ending gun violence and not allow the status quo which has only led to more deaths, only led to inadequate responses to things that we actually have responsibility to do, uh, not just offer thoughts and prayers, but offer legislation and offer policies uh, that could lead to positive transformation. That's going to be the work that we do in the state house, despite uh, and in spite of the Republican Party. You know, it's funny because we're going to talk a little bit later in the show. I mean, as young as you are, uh, my favorite sign, uh, by the way, that was outside when you all were in these in the protest mode was no Justins, no peace. They wanted both of the Justins back. But, um, you know, I, we're going to know later in the show that, you know, the, the young police officer in Louisville who's still fighting for his life, as young as mm -hmm. you are, is younger than you. You know, and, and yeah. so you all are a generation that has spent your lives doing active shooter drills in school. My kids are your age and have done it since third grade. You wrote this incredible essay in The New York Times where you talk about your friend Larry Thorne. Um, you already know a, a dead person, your age, you, somebody who died your age. Talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that and about just the trauma of your generation and what, what it, that seems to be what led you into public service. Mm -hmm. uh, being of service to our community in District 86 has been my mission and goal. We were called the path of least resistance by Valero Energy Corporation Plains All-American who wanted to build a crude oil pipeline through our community. We galvanized and organized saying that there's something about this sense of place that is important and we defeated that pipeline. Uh, and now we face this challenge of the proliferation of guns and of gun violence. Larry and I graduated Mitchell High School together. Uh, we were the exact same age and in January 10, three days after my birthday, Larry was killed by gun violence. The reality is there are too many people who have their hands on guns and too few people in positions of power doing something about gun prevention. Larry loved working with the bands, worked in a middle school, was literally the light of his mother, his grandmother, his brother, his community's life. And his life was cut short. Uh, it was taken because of gun violence. And we have people who are legislators who, instead of saying, let's address the issue of gun violence in a holistic 
multifaceted way, invest the necessary resources that we need to in order to solve this problem. Their solution is to expel lawmakers who go to the well of the House saying our silence and business as usual is wrong. Uh, our our allegiance to the National Rifle Association and to the Tennessee Firearms Association is wrong. And they hastily, Cameron Sexton was very quick to uh, work on our expulsions, but it is not very quick to come up with solutions that could save people like Larry's life. And we have the leader of the Republicans in the House, William Lambert, whose recommendation was, I'll put a tank in front of every school. But Larry and I graduated 10 years ago. What about the other parts of our communities? A tank in front of a school wouldn't have saved the lives of, of our, our brothers and sisters and siblings in Louisville. The reality is we have a problem in our country uh, that is going to require us to think differently and to act differently as it relates to who has access to guns. The fact that we don't have permits, uh, you don't need a permit to hold most guns in the state of Tennessee. The fact that we're lowering the age range for people to have long guns, things like this only make us less safe, especially when we have weapons of war uh, in the hands of regular people. 70 plus percent of Tennesseans don't want to see that because they want people like Larry to be alive. They want people like the ones in Nashville and Louisville to be alive. And this is the moment in time for our country for us to do something differently. And I believe and I am hopeful that across our country, if we keep raising our voice on this issue, we will create justice and ensure that people like Mrs. LaVonda Thorne Henderson doesn't have to bury her son and we don't have to bury our friends and our colleagues and our grandparents in perpetuity. Uh, you know, there is some movement. Um, you know, it's not a huge movement, but Governor Bill Lee has now um, expressed support for red flag laws. Um, he has signed an executive order um, that would strengthen background checks for gun purchases. Is that a good start? And do you expect the legislature to actually now take action now that they have humiliated themselves by trying to humiliate the three of you? Mm -hmm. We have institutional problems within the state legislature where the Republican Party is overusing and abusing their power to turn our democracy into a mobocracy, where mob rules and not the people rule. And we have in this moment the attention of the country and the world looking at Tennessee, saying what is wrong and what are we going to do differently. I believe there are, those are fine signals from Governor Bill Lee, but we need to have good and fine legislation coming from the Tennessee State House. It's one thing to have an executive order, but those can easily fade with the new administration. It needs to be a law. It's one thing to say that you want to have red flag laws. It's another thing to bring people together and communities that have been impacted and parents that have suffered together and say, what type of laws would you like to see? And that was one of our arguments. We want to see red flag laws. Uh, myself, Representative Jones, Representative Johnson advocated. We want to see gun storage safety laws as well. We want to see the expansion of background checks. And there are so many other good laws that exist that most people want because they don't want their grocery stores to turn into war zones. We don't want our churches to turn into war zones. We don't want our schools to be war zones either. We want to live safe in our communities. And whatever we have done in the status quo has led us to this point. And so we need to do something different. And sometimes even let's break into quorum of house rules in order to change the conversation in the state of Tennessee in our country to create more just laws that actually protect us. Yeah, you did. As you wrote in your op-ed, it is something when decorum allows someone to, from the well of the House, uh, recommend returning to lynching in the hanging tree, but not to stand up for justice for the children who are in the gallery. Um, I have to ask you about this, because we watched these mainly older white men treat 
uh, mm-hmm. you all, but, but particularly you and Justin Jones, with utter disrespect. And you are their colleagues, no matter how young you are. Um, mm-hmm. And I have this piece in front of me from Politico, and it isn't from 1973. It's literally from this year, from April, mm-hmm. that talks about former members of that body, Cade Cothran, saying black people are idiots. He later has apologized for that, um, is actually now facing some federal charges of bribery and other things. Um, another member uh, referring to wetbacks when telling a story about the border. On other occasions, joking about people in your the body, in the Republican body, Republicans publicly cracking jokes about black people eating fried chicken. And then there was this one. A former Republican legislative staff member told this reporter, whose name is Natalie Allison, that in 2020, a member of the House Republican leadership in a text message referred to your colleague, um, Justin Jones, then an activist who was trying to take down the Nathan Bedford Forrest statue and advocate just as you were an activist as well, referred to himself and another black lawmaker as baboons. That's the atmosphere that you work in. Um, You also have had that same Republican leadership threaten to punish the city of Memphis, the great city of Memphis, for returning you to your office. How do you work Mm -hmm. with people like that? And do you expect your city to actually be financially punished, Haiti-style, for daring mm-hmm. to stand up for their elected representative. The state capitol run by the Republican majority is a toxic work environment. Uh, I will be the first to admit that. It is undergirded by white supremacy and patriarchy. It has for too long operated as a place of injustice and, and, and disservice to the people of the state of Tennessee. Those are the things that undergird the foundations of the institution. But something that's really important for all of us to know who are in the movement for justice is that institutions do not in and of themselves build or develop moral courage. In fact, there may be a good few folks inside, but it's the people outside of institutions who externally push for it to be better, who demand accountability at the voting booth, but also every time that the session opens and who says, I'm going to check every bill and I'm going to make sure that I raise my voice for each piece of legislation that helped to transform the people and the institution itself to be a more democratic place. And that is the the hope that I have, even for working in an institution like this. But the truth, the, the truth of those comments. So the truth of other comments are real and it is a difficult and a challenging place for us to be, but it's not a place so challenging that we cannot be there and that we should not be there to fight for our constituents and for the people in District 86. And the reality is the, the threats uh, they, and retaliation has happened before against Memphis and Millington and Shelby County, the district that we represent. And so it is a concern that we have. But again, we will be watching, we will be paying attention, and we will be holding this legislature accountable for doing the things that we're supposed to do, like ending gun violence and reducing Uh, Representative Justin Pearson, we will all be watching. I know I can tell you're a preacher's kid. Uh, I read a little bit of your bio, so I know you're a preacher's kid just by the way you speak. You have brought such elegance and grace and eloquence to this fight. Um, You know, and you know in church, when somebody hands you the mic, right, you have to be ready to sing. And the the mic was handed to the the two of you, to the Justins, uh, and and you, young man, are in the fine tradition of the great civil rights leaders. Um, The way that you speak and the way that you talk about the movement and the way that you stand up for your people, but really, as you said, for all of those children. You guys have been more passionate about those three little dead children and those three dead school employees than I've seen any Republican be in the state of Tennessee. That is shameful for them, but fantastic for you all. Keep doing what you're doing. No justice, no peace. That's, that's got to be on a T-shirt somewhere, young brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you. We'll keep fighting.
Thank you. Uh, freshly reinstated Representative Justin Pearson. Uh, that is, watch him. Keep a, a weather eye open. The Justins are going far. Up next on the readout, bears. <laughs> bears, <laughs> because bears, when poked, tend to get very angry. And the bears in this scenario are younger voters being repeatedly poked by Republicans' refusal to address gun violence. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. In what is a uniquely American problem, the bodies from one shooting, the one at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, are barely laid to rest before funeral arrangements must be made for victims of another mass shooting. This latest one occurring Monday at a bank in downtown Louisville, Kentucky. Six people are dead. The Louisville Metro Police Department has released body cam footage, which they edited and blurred. We're going to play it now. Warning, it is disturbing. The body cam belonged to Officer Corey Galloway, one of the first two officers to arrive at the scene. He's the one that you see on the right. His partner, Officer Nicholas Wilt, is on the left, a rookie cop on his fourth shift ever. He was shot in the head within minutes of arriving at the scene. He is 26 years old. The shooter, who is also dead, or who is dead, is 20, was 25. America's gun epidemic is deadlier than ever. And those most impacted are young people. They are the victims, part of a generation raised on active shooter drills. Some of those young people, tragically, never came home. They are also the police responders, like Officer Wilt, who remains in critical condition. They're also the shooters, like the one in Kentucky, who used an AR-15-style rifle and who is now dead. Both the officer and the shooter are younger than the 27-year-old Tennessee representatives, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, who have helped galvanize the movement for democracy and gun reform in ways we haven't seen in a long time. Because it is also young Americans who are carrying the movement on their backs, a burden placed on them as lawmakers. Some of them, three, four times their age, or, or while other members of representative government, supposedly, who are three, four times their age, do absolutely nothing. Joining me now are March for Our Lives student organizers, Esri Tyler and Bryn Jones. Esri and Bryn, thank you for being here. And I just, I, I'm just going to let you all talk. Uh, Esri, I will start with you. You know, it, it is embarrassing, I think, 
for every generation older than yours, that this fight belongs to you, to young college students. Um, talk about that burden and why you're in this fight. Absolutely. Um, it absolutely is embarrassing to them. I joined this movement when I was 13 years old, when I organized my own middle school walkout five years ago in response to the Parkland shooting, because I felt responsible because my peers and the people around me and my community was impacted every single day. And it felt like it was something that I had to do. And like, I could engage in that fight, but yeah. here I am this week organizing these walkouts and these protests. And I'm meeting people as young as six years old who are coming out every single day who are impacted by this and people who are protesting for their very first times because they do feel responsible and they do feel like they're the only people that can take up this fight because the adults are ignoring them. And Brynn, how, how did it impact you all? How did you feel when the response of Tennessee's majority Republican legislature was to kick out the Justins rather than pass gun reform? Yeah, I mean, it really was. It was like a punch in the gut. I'm from Nashville. I was uh, raised in raised here. I have six generations of Tennesseans in my family. And to watch the legislature not just ignore the thousands of people that came out and protested for common sense gun reform, for safe and healthy communities, for children to not die in schools, and for their only response to that to be to kick out three democratically elected lawmakers, three lawmakers from East, West, and Middle Tennessee. Tennessee, sorry, to kick out two of them, the two young black men uh, who are representing their constituents and the interests of their constituents and who are part of this generation that has grown up with these mass shootings. It, it really showed that, you know, they're, they're not actually about representing their constituents. They're not about caring about democracy. They're about their own interests. Yeah, it does show that they can also act really quickly when they want to, right? So it's not, they can't say we can't do anything because when they want to, they can do a lot. It just, I'm looking at some statistics here. Um, Harvard University did a poll um, and it said that America's 18 to 29 year olds um, who suffered from feeling down, depressed, or hopeless about mass shootings, 47%, that's nearly half of our young folks. Assault weapons ban poll, young Americans who support banning assault weapons, 58%. And if you think about that AR-15, it, it has been the the weapon of choice used in 10 of the 17 deadliest mass killings in this country. So it seems like it's pretty logical, um, Esri, that, that we should just go back to having an assault weapons ban. You know, I mean, I think when we had one from 1994 to 2004, massacres went down 183%. So we know it works. What do you think is standing in the way of getting an assault weapons ban again? Yeah, we've been calling for assault weapons bans for years now, and we've been calling for other measures that we know are proven and work, and especially in states like Tennessee that has some of the loosest gun control legislation in the entire nation, but also the highest level of gun-related gun deaths. We've been calling for these common sense measures that, just like you said, have been proven to work countless times. But just like Bryn said, the thing standing in the way is plain and simple. It's lawmakers who are self-serving their own interests and who are backed by NRA-funded money and who are more interested in engaging in culture wars and claiming that things that are actually vital to our communities, um, such as banning drag or gender affirming care for yeah. children or books, 
is what need we need to protect children instead of the thing that kills every single day. And so engaging in these culture wars rather than the war that is on our communities every day is a blatant disgrace to their representatives. And Brynn, you know, that is an excellent point that you have lawmakers acting real fast to ban books, anything by LGBTQ folks or anybody that's black. Right. And, and banning drag shows as if RuPaul's drag race is more of a danger to, to young people than getting shot in the fourth grade or the third grade. But they're the reason they do it is because they do get voted back in. They don't feel accountable. Is the movement that you all are involved in making that translation to voting, to voting these people out? Because that really is the only way to change it. They're not going to change their minds. I totally agree with you. And I think that part of the issue here that is fundamental to the problem is that Tennessee has about the lowest amount of voter turnout in the whole country. That is fundamental to this issue is that people feel so disenfranchised and people are disenfranchised. The state is actively working to disenfranchise people at the same time that people are feeling hopeless and apathetic about voting because of the Republican supermajority. And yeah. one thing that we've really said and tried to show this week is that if young people turn out, we can create change. And that's really what we need to do. And and it's not just about this last two weeks, because we've had people showing up every single day these last two weeks. We need to have this momentum continue into 2024, which is one of the reasons why people should text ACT to 954-954 and find out about future actions we're doing, about long-term planning, because it's not just about... That's how you know somebody... That's how you know somebody is a good activist because they're like, here's where you text. Here's how you act. Listen, tell a friend if you're in a gerrymandered red district in every gerrymandered red district, the people who are voting red have children and grandchildren who the minute you turn 18, you can vote the people out who your parents are voting in. You all have complete freedom in that voting booth. Tell a friend in a gerrymandered district you can get rid of your, uh, re- you know, useless Republican representative. They won't do anything too. when Republicans start to lose. They will moderate. That's how you change parties. Esri Tyler and Bryn Jones. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you. And still ahead. New developments in Domino's, in Dominion's Domino's, in Dominion's defamation suit against Fox. As Tuckum sits for a fawning interview with the guy we already know that he secretly despises passionately. We'll be right back. <laughs> Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops on. TVs streaming. Game console consoling. Smart thermostat set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera. Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go. You are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet, Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film, The Aviators, now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. It's Monday night. It's Monday, everyone. Happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a What would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case, or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. We traveled to Mar-a-Lago today to interview the former president on his recent arrest by a Democratic prosecutor. But once we sat down, we wound up talking mostly about foreign policy. For a man who was caricatured as an extremist, 
We think you'll find what he has to say moderate, sensible, and wise. Ah, such kind words from Tuckums Carlson. Perhaps it should be no surprise that as Donald Trump reemerges on Fox, that he would appear on its flagship show. Trump ticked through his usual shtick, including fawning over the intelligence of autocrats and dictators around the world. What was perhaps most amusing was watching good old Duggams fawning over his interview subject. The only question left for me was, how long did Tucker have to practice in front of the mirror to get his I love you Trump face just right? <laughs> well, talking to the man that he hates with a passion, as we learn from the Dominion filings. It's not like Trump is one whole grudges. There is also the fact that you have two people here who are presently involved in several different legal cases meeting for this bizarre morality play on television for Tucker. He will have to testify in Dominion's $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox. The judge in that case delivered a major blow to the network's defense yesterday, ruling that Fox could not argue that it aired false information about Dominion because they thought it was newsworthy. And today, they received yet another blow when the same judge sanctioned Fox for withholding evidence in the case. As for Trump, his lawyers are asking a New York judge to delay the start of the civil rape and defamation trial brought by writer E. Jean Carroll to allow for a, quote, cooling off period following his recent historic indictment in the Stormy Daniels hush money case. Joining me now is Melissa Murray, professor at New York University School of Law, MSNBC legal analyst and co-host of the Strict Scrutiny podcast and also uh, glasses, fabulous glasses aficionado. Uh, she's definitely glasses goals for all of us former spectacle wearers. Um, thank you very much, Melissa, for being here. Let's just go through these in order. So this sanction against Fox, let me just read this Daily Beast headline, ex-Fox producer. There, well, let's just go through that first. The sanction against Fox. Explain that. So Fox has been sanctioned by a Delaware judge on the ground that it is deliberately withheld information from Dominion during the discovery phase. Remember, this case is about to go to trial. They are picking a jury on Thursday. They're about to have opening statements on Monday. And they've just discovered that Fox has not been completely forthcoming about evidence, important evidence in the case. And so the judge has said, this is really a problem, not just for Dominion, but for the court itself. And it's sanctioned Fox. So the withholdings are not only about evidence, but also maybe that Fox has also um, minimized the nature of the role that Rupert Murdoch played at Fox News, sort of suggesting that he was merely a corporate figurehead as opposed to someone who is more intimately involved. So it is quite extraordinary on the eve of trial. Um, we don't normally see this, but we've never really seen a trial like this before either. Yeah, and we know that Rupert Murdoch might testify as early as Monday, and we know they're still deciding what the schedule is. But let me just read this. This is from The Daily Beast. Um, this is uh, Abby Grossberg, the former Tucker Carlson producer who's accused Fox News of pressuring her to give false testimony in the Dominion voting systems lawsuit. She's filed an amended legal complaint on Tuesday claiming that there are secret Fox audio recordings of Rudy Giuliani and other Trump allies. Uh, the recordings allegedly feature them admitting that they had no evidence to support their Dominion election fraud lie. Um, and the judge, Eric Davis, in this case, says he's considering further investigation and censure over allegedly withholding evidence, Fox withholding evidence. So if the if Fox is trying to make a case that they wanted to say, well, we put this on because we thought it was newsworthy, the judge says you can't do that. What happens if now there's evidence that they are lying when they said that they didn't know whether the information was true? 
mean, obviously, there's sanctions in this case. The judge has said that it would allow uh, the court would allow Dominion to go back and hold depositions based um, on this evidence that apparently has been withheld evidence that only came out because Abby Grossberg filed her own suit against Fox. And this came out in the discovery in that suit. Um, but they will go back. They will have those depositions. They will be at Fox's expense. And that can be entered into evidence. But again, I think it leaves a really bad taste in the mouth of the judge. And if more of this comes out after the jury is picked, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth of the jurors yeah. as well. So it's not great. Not good. Uh, let's go to let's go to uh, the top, uh, Trump. So Trump is now claims he's suing Michael Cohen for five hundred five hundred million dollars. He might have also said a bazillion dollars, but he's got some issues here. Um, he wants a cooling off period between the case he's got to face uh, in the Alvin Bragg situation and the Ejin Carroll case. These things are completely separate cases that have nothing to do with each other. Why should he get that? Well, that's a great question. Um, and the lawyers for E. Jean Carroll say that he shouldn't. Again, these are two very different cases. And more importantly, the fact that there is perhaps an inflammatory or incendiary legal environment around Mr. Trump here in New York City is largely of Mr. Trump's own making. Like this indictment would have attracted attention, certainly, but the fever pitch of this attention is largely due to the inflammatory statements that Mr. Trump has made in conjunction with that indictment. So I think the the court is going to have to weigh whether E. Jean Carroll has a right to her day in court or whether this is deferred based largely on the fact that she happens to be suing someone who's already in trouble with the law and can't shut up about it. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Uh, let's talk about these threats uh, to Alvin Bragg's office. This, you know, it has introduced a chilling new angle to what uh, this uh, young DA is trying to accomplish. Um, what is the level of protection that this man can get for himself? I mean, this sounds like everyone in this office is now at risk because he's simply doing his job. So I'm not sure exactly what the security um, forces that are provided for the DA look like, but obviously this is a very serious threat. Again, um, we have to think about this, not just the, the letter, the threatening letter that was sent with the white powder, but also we have members of Congress intimidating or at least trying to intimidate the DA, um, saying that you know they were going to come and have their own hearing here in Manhattan to determine whether or not Alvin Bragg is using improperly federal funds to support this particular case. And again, all of this shows how much Donald Trump is the organizing fulcrum around which yeah. so much of the modern Republican Party pivots. Yeah. I mean, there have been field hearings on things like immigration, abortion rights, civil rights back in the 60s. You know, they would do field hearings from Congress to talk about whether people were being denied the right to vote. The idea of doing a field hearing because one guy got indicted for stuff he very likely did doesn't make any sense at all. I'll give you the last word on this Jim Jordan hearing. That It seems to me that that cannot be legal for Congress to investigate a single indictment. It doesn't seem legal. Well, I mean, if you go back to the Trump cases from a couple of years ago, and the whole question there was whether congressional oversight could extend to the private papers or the private disclosures of a president. And the Supreme Court said, you know, allowing Congress to exercise oversight in this way, it was a really delicate thing because it could be used in ways that could constrain the president, could be used for political payback. I think we're seeing a lot of that again, arise. Only now it's a different administration. It's a different party for this DA. But again, the same kinds of concerns. Yeah. And it sounds to me like they just want to see the evidence because they want to help Trump out. That's what it looks like. Melissa Murray, thank you very much. There's that too. There's thank that you. too. Okay, we'll be back after this. Thank you. 
Republicans have been conspicuously quiet about the MAGA Republican federal judge's ruling in validating the FDA's approval of the abortion medication Mifepristone. Only one Republican senator has publicly crowed about it, Mississippi's Cindy Hyde-Smith. The silence is probably because they know it's wildly unpopular, so much so that it has enraged a part of their supposed pro-business party base, Big Pharma. Hundreds of industry executives signed on to an open letter blasting Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, saying the ruling ignores science, undermines the FDA's authority, and creates uncertainty for the entire industry. Of course, the Republican trademark is being out of touch on, well, everything, abortion, democracy, guns, LGBTQ issues, you name it. Today, the LGBTQ advocacy group Equality Florida issued a warning about travel or moving to the state, warning of risks to health, safety, and freedom moving through its legislature under the Ron DeSantis regime. It comes days after a Florida Republican state representative had to apologize for an extravagantly offensive rant during a hearing where he called transgender people demons and imps. I'm looking at society today, and it's like I'm watching an X-Men movie. It's like we have mutants living among us on planet Earth. I'm a proud Christian conservative Republican. I'm not on the fence. Mm, Christian conservative Republican. That tracks. Meanwhile, in Missouri, House Republicans are taking their culture wars to a chilling extreme. They voted Tuesday to strip all state funding from public libraries, purely out of spite. They did it because Missouri librarians are suing the state over a law that has led to the banning of 300 books, many of them, unsurprisingly, authored by or telling stories about people of color and LGBTQ people. Joining me now is MSNBC political analyst and former Senator Claire McCaskill. And Claire, I mean, you now have to have travel advisories in Florida. And Missouri Republicans are saying, we're going to defund the libraries. Make it make sense. Well, it's very hard to. Um, you know, absolute power not only corrupts, but it also produces really extreme viewpoints. When you think you are absolutely free of any threat, other than from someone further to more extreme than you are, then you go for it. And in Missouri, we have a trifecta going in this legislative session. First, we have the fact that they have passed the most restrictive abortion law in the country from conception no exceptions. Rape victims are forced to give birth in the state of Missouri if they are impregnated by the criminal who attacked them. Second, they voted, Joy, to let children openly carry weapons, AR-15s, and now they've defunded all public libraries because someone had the nerve to use our Constitution to assert themselves in a court of law to determine the limits of the First Amendment. So, I mean, it is really nuts and it is hard to watch for me because I'm a former member of the Missouri legislature back when there were conservative people and there were liberal people. And then there were a whole lot of people that figured out how they could talk to each other. Not yeah. anymore. It is one way road to the most extreme positions you can possibly imagine. And the only way to fix it is for the people to vote. Well, and the thing is, you make that point because, you know, back in, when Tennessee had an all-Democratic legislature, there were stories of sort of they, they went too far in some ways, you know, wielding their power of Republicans. Having absolute power, as you said, is always corrupting for whichever party. You know, it, this isn't the partisan statement. It's just you give people that much power. Let me play you a soundbite, which is stunning. 
This is a, a conversation between State Senator Mike Moon um, and a Democratic representative about something, as you said, you want to talk about extremism? This is about whether children, babies, should be allowed to be raped and then married by adults. Take a listen. I've heard you talk about parents' rights to raise their kids how they want. In fact, I just double-checked. You voted no on making it illegal for kids to be married to adults at the age of 12 if their parents consented to it. You said, actually, that should be the law because it's the parents' right and the kids' right to decide what's best for them, to be raped by an adult. Okay? Do you know any kids who have been With married marriage. at age 12? That was any, the law. You, know you voted kids? not to change it. Do you know any kids who have been married at age 12? I, I, I don't need to. I do. Uh, and guess what? They're still married. I don't even know what to do with that, Claire. I don't even know what to do with it. Yeah, Um, it is um, so disgusting and it's embarrassing for me and millions of other Missourians who are so sad that this man, not only was he a state representative, he got elected to the Senate. He represents over 100,000 people in a, a rural part of our state. So And by the way, a lot of these bills I just talked about, Joy, the ones that are so extreme, many of them are pushed by people that had no opponent last election. That's right. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I think we don't talk about enough on many of the wonderful programs I am blessed to appear on is telling people it is more than just going on Twitter. It is more than talking about it with your family, your friends the people who agree with you. It is about running and registering people to vote. And I think it's important to point out that school boards, city councils, state legislative seats, county commissions, those races can be won with shoe leather. You can knock on doors. You can meet your voters. You don't have to have a gajillion dollars. You don't Mm -hmm. have to have some fancy photograph or video or commercial. All you have to do is get out there and meet people and say, do you really want our state to be represented by people who think it's okay for 12-year-olds to marry adults? Is that a good idea? If more of us would do that, Take up the passion you feel and run and register other people to vote. I think that's the only way we check this kind of power run amok that is doing these culture wars that really are hurting people. You, you are speaking my language, uh, my good sister, because that I literally I am a broken record on this, that I think people have difficulty connecting voting and elections all up and down the ballot to preventing people like this from having power. Representative Clay Higgins of Louisiana says that over time, American communities will build beautiful church-owned public access libraries. Churches will. I'm going to help these churches get funding. We will change the whole public library paradigm. The library's regular Americans recall are gone. They've become liberal grooming centers. If you think that sounds bonkers, don't think for a second that that person will not enact that. Because as you said, Claire, he will run unopposed. The people who think that's crazy won't vote. The young people will march, but not necessarily vote. And a lot of people will get hurt simply because, I mean, DeSantis only won because 1.3 million Floridians stayed home. That's the thing that drives me nuts. Yeah, public libraries. I grew up riding my bicycle to a small public library in a very small rural community where we lived at the time. And that public library was my lifeline to imagination and to learning. And to deprive children of that 
and being exposed to all kinds of different ideas and points of view, it's a crime. It's an absolute crime. I love libraries the exact same way. And today, by the way, I got my Library of Congress library card. And I came out and was so giddy and was like geeking out with all the librarians. Let's save our libraries, but y'all got to vote. Former Senator Claire McCaskill, thank you, thank you. And we'll be back after this. Russian opposition activist Vladimir Karamurza has been in a Russian prison since he returned to Moscow last year. He is just one of the many people currently being wrongfully detained by Putin's government. That includes Russia's opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, who also sits in a Russian prison, and Americans like Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich and former Marine Paul Whelan. Kara Mirza is currently nearing the end of his closed-door trial, where he faces up to 25 years in Russian prison on charges of treason. He'll be sentenced on Monday. This week, Kara Mirza delivered a powerful closing statement, comparing his prosecution to the Stalin-era show trials and saying he has no regrets for his criticisms, telling the, quote, telling the court, in part, at one point during my testimony, the presiding judge reminded me that one of the extenuating circumstances was remorse for what the accused has done. And although there is little that's amusing about my present situation, I could not help smiling. The criminal, of course, must repent of his deeds. I am in jail for my political views, for speaking out against the war in Ukraine, for many years of struggle against Vladimir Putin's dictatorship, for facilitating the adoption of personal international sanctions under the Magnitsky Act against human rights violators. Not only do I not repent of any of this, I am proud of it. I subscribe to every word that I have spoken and every word of which I have been accused by this court. I blame myself for only one thing, that over the years of my political activity, I have not managed to convince enough of my compatriots and enough politicians in the democratic countries of the danger of the current regime in the Kremlin and that they pose for Russia and for the world. And that is tonight's readout. Get the latest updates on this year's high stakes election with MSNBC's How to Win 2024 newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get expert analysis on key races sent straight to your inbox, including articles written by the host of the How to Win podcast, Jennifer Palmieri. Subscribe today at msnbc.com slash win.